0: Welcome to Your Brain On by Salience Learning. I'm Karen Foster. And I'm Krista Gerhard. Today, we have our first guest ever on Your Brain On, Will Thalheimer from Work Learning Research. We had a really great conversation with him, and today is part one. Let's get to it. just to start off again, you know, give us a bit of your background. Um, so of course we've been reading your blog and, and talking about you, uh, but more, you know, more appropriately to hear from the source. Sure.
1: So I've been in the, uh, L field for over 30 years. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of different roles. I've been a trainer, I've been an instructional designer, I've been a simulation architect, a project manager, a consultant, a researcher, evaluation specialist, et cetera. Um, And uh, for the last 22 years, um, I've been running my consulting practice, work-learning research. That sounds like 10,000 people, but no, it's just basically me. And uh, what I do is I uh, help clients by using research-based best practices uh, and compiling those, looking at the scientific research, but then making them practical uh, because you know, a lot of it is jargony, it's you know, bound up in these you know, theoretical arguments, and I just like to look at what causes what. And then, you know, not just look at one study, because that's not enough, but compile a bunch of things to really find uh, the themes, the patterns that are out there that we can make our learning more effective. Um, so I do that. Now, compiling the research doesn't usually pay anything. So the way that I make my living is to do workshops, is to do learning audits, uh, where I go in and I'll look at a classroom training or an online training or e-learning or even how people learn on the job in their groups. And I will uh, go in and make recommendations. Uh, One of the things I've learned over the years that a learning audit, is kind of, it's great, right? You come in as an outsider, you give your feedback, you look at that, you research benchmark it, um, but it's not as good as uh, what I do. Uh, it's called a learning audit workshop. So I go in with a group of a, a team and I talk about some research concepts, I talk about the practical application of those, and then uh, I have the people there do the audit themselves. So they decide, you know, what are we doing that's aligned with the research? Mm-hmm. What are we doing that's misaligned? And what are we doing that's sort of in the middle? The reason this works so well is because you're starting with a firm foundation, with research that works, that's practical. But then uh, you're enabling them who have better eyes on their learning than you do, right? Even as an outsider, if you go in and observe, you still don't know all the contingencies and the logistics and the what they can do and what they can't do. Um, so they know it better than you do. So they're not only know it better, but they're also get buy-in. They're the ones deciding, Oh, we should, this is misaligned. We should really improve this, or this is great. We should be doing more of this in our other programs, et cetera. So these learning audits are really effective. Um, I've also been doing a lot of work on, uh, learning evaluation and I've become known for that. I've, uh, you I know, have a book on performance-focused learner surveys. I'm rewriting that now. Um, I created a new learning evaluation model, LTEM, uh, which people were loving. And uh, so I really focused on that. And, and the reason I do is because uh, if we're not getting good feedback on what we're doing, we're not able to improve. We're not able to create those virtuous cycles of improvement. And that's a problem because we're professionals, aren't we? We should put stuff out there and we should make it better and be as effective as we can. Um, I've also been working on uh, Train the Trainer Presentation Science. I have a workshop called the Presentation Science Bootcamp. And uh, it's an online, mostly asynchronous program um, that really helps people make better presentations in general, but it's particularly relevant for those in the learning and development field. And probably a whole bunch of other things as well. But basically, that's what I've been
0: doing. <laughs> doing. I mean, geez, do you do you sleep well or uh,
1: I'm uh... <laughs> no, I don't. I try not to sleep, no, because that's inefficient. Uh,
0: no. I have to imagine lots of lots of coffee, caffeinated uh, empowerment going on. Um, yep, kudos to that. Um, so I guess what I what we're and me, I'll be a bit uh, selfish. Uh, is uh, interested in is with respect to those sort of train the learning audits, right? Which, do you have a particular set of the scientific research or evidence that you're most passionate about? I know measurement and evaluation is is something close to your heart. Um, I guess, give us a, a sense of what sort of, you know, those, those key scientific findings that you really want to drive in learning and development.
1: Well, Karen, that's a great question. And, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this too. There, there are a thousand learning factors that we could look at, right? And maybe more than I'm mean, probably more than a thousand. But we obviously can't do all those things. And some of the learning factors are more important than others. Uh, early on, twenty-two years ago, I started out trying to compile the learning research, and I in my youthful. Uh, <laughs> ignorance. I thought, oh, this will be easy. I'll do it in a couple of years. I'll write a book. Da, da, da. Well, uh, that's a big project. And uh, some things are more important than others. But I basically went in, look at the scientific research, and I looked at, um, you know, effect sizes and tried to find out what were the most important things. And there's no way one person can do this. Um, but I did come up with what I call the decisive dozen, the 12 most important learning factors. And I'm sure that I'm missing out on a few or that, you know, some things in there aren't as important, but um, there's things like retrieval practice. And that's a jargony term, but it basically means getting learners to uh, engage in some learning activity and then retrieving information from memory. And that's really critical because that's what they have to do in their work. Like we teach them something, then later, they, they're working in their work and they encounter some issue and they should retrieve that information. So we should we give people practice in doing that. So retrieval practice is one. Uh, repetition is another. Spacing repetitions over time, really valuable. Uh, feedback giving feedback on these retrieval practice efforts on these task efforts, et cetera. Um, helping people guide, you know, guiding people's attention to the most important learning factors. Um, so there's a bunch of things like this. That's like five out of the 12. Um, but, you know, it's, to, see, my my belief is that, and the metaphor I like to use is that we sort of have a learning DNA. And like, like human DNA, some aspects of our DNA are more important than others. Like we have this 99% of the same DNA as chimpanzees and bonobos. But clearly a small part of our DNA is really important (laughs) or we'd be a lot hairier. And uh, so uh, what is it? What learning factors are the most important? And I try to focus on those. um, You know, eventually we can go and think about other things, but most of us are failing or not doing as well as we might on those fundamentals. We're not giving enough retrieval practice, realistic practice, as I like to call it, to make it practical. We're not doing enough spacing. We're not helping guide attention. You know these things. So um, focusing on the fundamentals is going to get us the most bang for the buck. And we should be doing that.
0: So can I ask? This is these are really great tips. But out of curiosity, how do you see them applied across your different customer base? Like, is there maybe a particular type of customer or industry that that employs these learning factors a bit stronger than others?
1: Well, so my uh, my work over the years has focused in many different organizations. So I've worked with the U.S. Navy SEALs. I've worked with the Defense Intelligence Agency. I've worked with the CDC and the World Bank, uh, big organizations like Bloomberg and Walgreens and Pfizer and Novartis, et cetera. And uh, I've also worked with small little e-learning shops. And uh, my <laughs> my view of the industry. And I know it's my view, not everybody's view, but my view is that we're all, we all can be better. And um, so I don't see any particular uh, industries that are overall doing much better. Now, I, you know, that's, so we, we we you know, sometimes we do things that are, you know, we need to learn something that's dangerous and we do a good job of that. So teaching pilots right? We're pretty good at teaching pilots, but getting them in those simulators. Um, we do sometimes this in healthcare where we simulate, you know, uh, surgical decision-making, et cetera. Um, so where it's really important, we tend to put more emphasis into it. Uh, most learning interventions aren't like that. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. We don't get the permission, right, to do all, to, to make these resources. So in general, Uh, we're not doing as well as we might, I'll I'll give you an example. I did a, a research review of, uh, classroom training versus e-learning a few years ago. And the general findings were that, and these were the surprising findings that if you go into the wild and you just look at general e-learning versus general classroom training, um, the surprising finding was that e-learning tends to be better, but that wasn't really the most important finding. it's intriguing and we can talk about why but the most important finding is both e-learning and both classroom training could be made significantly better and these were researchers so they're not looking at the worst learning programs they're looking at probably the better ones and both you know both could be much more improved and and the reasons one of the reasons is we try to teach too much this is like a big problem i have this problem myself I got all this great content and really I've got I've got to get it across or people are gonna be lost they're gonna they're, I, I've got this great information so we try to teach too much and what does that do well we try to teach a hundred things and we teach them all at a surface level and we don't give them enough realistic practice we don't get them reflecting in depth we don't get them uh, you know spacing these repetitions over time um, we'd be better off teaching 50 things and they'd remember th- you know, 30 of them than teaching a hundred and having them remember 10. So uh, it's a, you know, we have these sort of, and it's not always our fault. I mean, let's be real. Sometimes our stakeholders say, oh, I've got to teach a hundred things because this is what's important. Um, but we need to be better at, you know, educating that issue.
0: When talking about the importance of prioritizing, it's something that uh, on the projects that Salience works on, we have those stakeholders right? That uh, the idea of you have to teach a hundred things, and or it's it's you, if you don't, you know, the learners will be lost, right? How have you found, or what techniques have you used to sort of convince stakeholders right that 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 prioritizing and sort of empowering the learner to make evaluative decisions on sort of the where their gaps are and 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 so forth is where has that help, helped or how have you done that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So one thing, sometimes I have the privilege or the opportunity to do like a little, I call them, I don't usually call them this to the my clients, but I call them like educational backgrounders, you know, mm-hmm. like a 45-minute, 60-minute, 90-minute, just introduction to the research, how to mm-hmm. think about learning. And sometimes that just Completely opens up people's eyes mm-hmm. um, because you go through these things and they go and they get it and they go, Of course, and wow, we didn't think of that. And this is great. Um, now, sometimes you can't do that. So, and even if you do that, you have to do more than that. Um, you know, we know that oftentimes information does not equal persuasion, right? Does not equal transformation. And so, um, I've also found that using the right metaphors, uh, uh, are really helpful uh using some visual elements so you know one of the things i've used is the metaphor of teaching 100 things versus teaching 50 things and then saying what would you rather have you know and and you know people you know and i'm telling them well these aren't the exact numbers but this is sort of how i think about it you know i could teach them 100 things and they might remember 30 uh or or you know 20, 10 they might remember 10 because i'm teaching them so much if I remember teach them 50 and they remember 30, which would you rather have? Teach them 50 or teach them, you know, they go, oh, okay. Um, also, I found, uh, I use the learning and forgetting curves.
0: Ah, uh, Good old, old Ebbinghaus. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, well, I try to take it away from House because that's, you know, nonsense syllables and all that, but I try, I try to make True. it real and, uh, and just that graph, I, I was once in a meeting with some senior leaders in an organization, and I, I just did the, the learning and forgetting curves, and one of them like stood up and said, oh my gosh, this is what we need. We need to minimize the forgetting curve, and you, you know, you got, they got excited about it. And you know a, a lot of us sort of think we know learning because we've been in classrooms for ages and ages. Um, But when we break things down and we show people learn and they can learn faster or slower and people forget and they can forget a lot. And this is sort of what happens most of the time, but we can minimize that forgetting. We can even do better. We can create the opportunity for them to continue to learn after the training. We can do things like um, prepare them to deal with obstacles that they might face. We can Um, you know, use repetitions to support them. We can reinforce things after the major learning event. Um, And usually people go, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So, you know, part of it's simplifying, part of it's finding the right metaphors, part of it's having the right visuals, and to create some key concepts around learning, like the learning and forgetting curve. um, I find that really moves people's thinking and opens them up to possibilities. And also when you share the research, and you do it in a way that's practical, gotta be careful, if you do it in a way that's too academic or jargony uh, or obviously impractical, then people will resist it. But if you do it in a way that you focus on the practical side of it, um, you relate it to their world, uh, then it just uh, jumps out at them and they go, oh yeah, of course.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Brain On. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Krista Gerhardt. And I'm Karen Foster. And we'll see you next time.